All right, so today, if you're turning with me in your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to start in 1 Samuel um, chapter 22. Chapter 22, if you're turning with me. I think I'm really, as I sat this morning and went over what I was going to talk about today, I kind of added some stuff to this and cut off the whole last part because I didn't really have time to to dive into it. So I'm thinking that's going to be next week because I really wanted to talk a lot today about dreams and the dreams that God's placed inside of you. If you remember, if you were here a week before last or if you listened to the podcast, um, you know, I talked a lot about dreams, I think week before last. Um, so I had a lot more, but I really felt like God was saying, we need to we need to talk about this part first. Uh, like I was kind of getting the getting the cart before the horse, so so we're gonna cut out the dream part, and we'll talk about that next week. I'm thinking, but today I just want to talk to you about some caves, about some caves. We're gonna look at a couple of different caves in the Bible and and guys that found themselves in a cave. Anybody in here have a man cave? Not many. Dang. I consider my office my man cave. <laughs> man caves are are kind of cool to go to. And, or what's it? What's the, the one for the women called? She shed? Anybody got a she shed? <laughs> no? Cat shed? Y'all, Danielle wants Malachi to build a cat shed for when they get married, a little whole little shed just for cats, and you can go in and sit and pet them and play with them and stuff. Malachi says no. What do y'all think? Yeah, that's a good idea. Yep, you got some votes. You got to build a cat shed, Malachi. (laughs) Okay, but when we're thinking about caves... I don't really think of, like, when you think of a man cave, it's going to be comfortable. You're probably going to have a big TV in there, some, somewhere where you would like to go hang out. But, but when we're talking about a natural cave out in the wild, it's probably not that comfortable. They're usually dark and damp, moldy. Bats like to go in there, not good visibility, need some light probably need a fire lit if you're going to spend any amount of time in there to try to at least make it a little warm or where you can see black widows like caves and bats like caves and lots of other kinds of animals mostly to sleep or hibernate some of the definitions of a cave is a hollow place in the earth. You know, if you get too hollow or empty, you'll cave. Another definition for it is a place providing privacy or seclusion from others. And I want to say before we get into this, because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I'm about to paint the cave as kind of a bad place to be in. Right, but so I want to say before I paint it as kind of a bad place is that it's not necessarily a bad thing to have a place where you go get away. In fact, it's very necessary and a good thing. Right, we see Jesus go away for certain periods of time to recharge and to let go, to, to disconnect from the crowd and from the disciples and from everyone else. So don't get confused and think I'm saying you should never be alone or you should never disconnect because you should it's good and healthy to do that to get away or to go to a quiet place but you can't stay there well you can you shouldn't stay there it's not where you were called to live or to stay you'll never be the king you'll never be the hero that you were called to be if you live in the cave forever You can't live there. Jesus went to the quiet place, but then he came out of the quiet place 
And every time in Scripture we see that Jesus came out of the quiet place or came away from spending time with his Father, every time he had compassion. Scripture tells us that when he came down off the mountain, he, he saw their sick and he was moved with compassion, and so he healed them. Or when he came down off the mountain, he found the disciples trying to heal the little boy, and he, he stepped up and he had compassion on them, and he healed the little boy that was demon-possessed. Or every time Jesus comes off the mountain or comes away from the quiet place or from the place of isolation, Jesus then has compassion, and he is moved to action. Remember, we won't spend much time on it, but... Compassion is simply sympathy with action. Sympathy is you just look at a situation and you feel bad for it, and then you go on about your day. Compassion, which is what Jesus had, which is what we're all called to have as Christians and as Jesus followers, that is sympathy with action. So when I look at somebody and see them broken and hurting, not only do I feel bad for that person, but then I have action. I, I step in and I do something to help, to make it better, to that's looking like Jesus. So every time Jesus went to the quiet place, he came out of the quiet place and he had compassion. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to look like. If there are three of my little nephews sitting on my mom's diving board at her swimming pool and they all three to decide to jump into the water, even though it's cold, and green then how many of my nephews are still sitting on the diving board well technically all three of them are because they decided to jump in doesn't mean they did it takes action a lot of times you sit around and decide I'm going to do this or I need to do that or you know what I'm going to change the world or I'm going to do what God's called me to do but then you got to do it and the longer you wait, the more chances are, the, the chances get better and better that you don't do it. That's why we're called to act. When God speaks, we're supposed to move. We act. The, the prayer I just prayed, God, move me. You can't believe how many times in a week I pray that simple prayer. That's like one of my main prayers that I pray all the time. Just, just three words. God, move me. I don't want to get numb. I don't want to get to the place where I can't hear your voice or I don't feel your leading or, or I don't sense the spirit. Like I, So I just say it under my breath a lot. On Sunday mornings before I come, God, move me. God, move me. God, soften my heart. God, move me. As I was thinking about caves, you know, I started thinking about cavemen, and I feel like cavemen kind of get a bad rap. And they're thought of as dumb, and we make fun of them, and there was that whole, there was all those commercials about them, and they make all kind of jokes, dumb caveman jokes and stuff, and they're not really so much different than us. I mean, what's the difference? We have wheels. Ooh. <laughs> like... <laughs> cavemen we all have caves in our lives we all have caves that we run to if you spend too much time in your cave you'll become more of an animal than a human usually caves are dark and damp they smell bad. Oh, and also just describe the truck stop bathrooms. We all have caves. It's places we go to or we run when, when we feel scared or when we feel trapped or when we feel depressed or when we feel overwhelmed or exhausted or sometimes just disappointed. When things didn't turn out like we thought or when we experienced a great loss, we'll, we'll run to our cave to hide. Just to try to find safety. Like, I can't lose one more thing. I can't take another loss. I, so we run to our cave to hide. 
And you're thinking, well, I'll never go running through the woods looking for a cave. You know, you can you got caves in your mind. Some of y'all might be in a cave right now. Mentally, you've checked out. You know, there have been times, it hasn't happened that often, but there have been times that Jesse will be sitting there talking about something and she'll look at me and say, Hello, you there? You checked out. Right, you're not listening. You're not paying attention. Where, where'd you go? Like, I, this is important. That don't happen too often, but it has happened a few times. What happened? You started thinking about something else and went off to a cave in my mind or, or what she was talking about was great or scary or, and just run. You hide in a cave. So we're going to look at two guys this morning, actually, we're going to look at three guys um, that, were, that were going through some stuff. All three of them were going through something really hard and ran to a cave. I was going to talk to you about this cool story in Joshua 10. You can go read it because we don't have enough time to talk about all the cool cave stories in the Bible. But in Joshua 10... Um, there were these five kings that ran and hid in a cave and then all they did was just put bars on the front of the cage the front of the cave and made it into a prison like it was easy they just trapped themselves in the cave and see because they chose to run to the cave it became their prison and then they couldn't decide when to leave and I'm telling you that, man, I wasn't going to talk about that story. How... You need to be very careful about the caves that you run into. When you're depressed, when you're scared, when you're in a fight or in a battle and you run into a cave and isolate yourself, it can become a prison that you cannot come out of when you want to. So, But that's not the story we're going to talk about. Um, their place of hiding became their prison. Um, and I was going to talk to you about this cave that um, Saul went into to poop. And David crawled up to him and cut off part of his robe, you know. Remember that cave? But then I decided we're, we're not going to talk about that because we don't want to talk about that in, in church this morning. So I'm not going to preach on that one. Although guy number one is David opposed to guy number two. Guy number one that we're going to talk about today is David, um, and we're going to look at 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 is kind of, is where we're going to start here. But David, like, you know David, like we know he was the shepherd boy, and he got anointed to be the king of Israel, and we know that his life took off, and he did some crazy things. He killed Goliath, then he became famous. Then he became a general in Saul's army. And his reward for killing Goliath, one of his rewards was that he got to marry Michael, which was one of Saul's daughters. So now he's married into the family. So in the natural, politically, he's now a prince, a son of the king. He's one of the baddest warriors that anybody knows. He wins every battle they go into after Goliath. Now he's leading the army. He becomes so famous that people are writing songs about him and singing it around the marketplace. The Bible tells us that they were singing, Saul has killed his thousands and David is tens of thousands. He's becoming so famous and Saul's getting mad and Saul's getting jealous. But David, if you think about it, in all areas, he's famous. In the natural, he's part of the royal family. And, and in the spirit, God's already anointed him to be king. And if you go read some of the, the history books and some of the history writers like Josephus, jo, Josephus, uh, I might have said his name wrong. Anyways, some of the history books talk about that at that time, David had become such a powerful leader in Saul's army. This is when he was serving under Saul. 
that he had become such a powerful leader that there are multiple instances where there was a battle going on and the word spread through the enemy that David and his boys are on the way to the fight and the enemy just gave up and left. They started raising white flags and running just because they heard David was coming. They didn't even want to stay and fight him. So he's famous around town and he all these good things are happening to him. But then Saul gets jealous and starts trying to kill him and like literally trying to kill him. Trying to throw a spear at him while they're sitting there at dinner and his best friend Jonathan is Saul's son and he ends up losing his best friend and he had to run from Saul. He goes to his wife and said, hey, your dad's trying to kill me. She's like, well, bye. That night he took off running and left and he left his, not only did he leave his fame, he had to leave his wife. He had to leave his best friend, Jonathan. He had to leave everything he knew. He left Samuel, his mentor. That was the last time he would ever see Samuel. Samuel died before David was made king and David was on the run and so he would lose his his covering, his spiritual authority, mentor. He would lose Saul, his king and the guy he looked up to and respected and his leader, the one that he honored and he continued to honor even after Saul was an idiot. Jonathan, his best friend, would die on the field of battle and David wouldn't be there to protect him or to help. He would just get word that that Jonathan was murdered. Well, you talk about some loss. Talk about some hurt. He could see no way to the throne anymore. He wasn't famous anymore. Things got so bad and he was so scared and he experienced so much loss that he ran to the Philistine city of Gath where Goliath was from to get away. Like, you don't think you're going to be recognized? Oh, and just in case they didn't recognize him, he had stopped by the temple and the priest was there and gave him some of the showbread and said, do you need anything else? And David said, I need a weapon, man. I I left. I don't even have a weapon. And he said, the only weapon we have here is Goliath's sword that you donated after you killed him. And, And David said, oh, there's no sword as good as that. Let me have it. So this genius goes into Gath, where Goliath was from, Philistine country, the enemy's country, and he's already the most famous warrior that Israel's ever had, and he walks in carrying Goliath's sword. What do you think's going to happen? <laughs> they saw him. They said, oh, that's David. So all, they grabbed him, and they took him to the king, and David's like, oh, I'm about to be killed. I've got myself into a situation where I'm about to get my head cut off. I'm about to be killed. So then David, the scripture tells us that David acted like a madman. He started acting like he was mentally handicapped. He started drooling and just letting drool come out his mouth and run down his beard. The Bible, the King James says, the spittle dripped from his beard. Looked like banging, and it says he banged his head into the wall and just looking like, like he was gone mentally. And he was such a good actor that the king looked at him and said, do I not have enough madmen in my my city? Get him out of here. Why'd you bring him in here? That's no warrior. And like he barely escaped with his life there, but all that loss I just told you about, and then there to top it all off, he lost his dignity. He lost his pride. You know, for a Jewish man, the beard was, it was great pride. And for you to have spit and drool dripping off your beard, it was a disgrace. So he lost his dignity. He lost his pride. He lost his best friend. He lost his wife. He lost his mentor. He lost his king. He lost his home. He lost his hopes for the future. He, God, you promised that I was going to be the king and this was my purpose. And now that can't even happen anymore. Nothing, it's all gone. And this is where we find David. Running. He's just running for his life and he's trying to find somewhere to hide. And David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. 
And when his brethren and his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. I really like that word, thither. They went down thither to him. So David's running, and he goes into a cave, isolated, alone, and his father's house, the people that were closest to him, his closest family, as soon as they heard where he was, they show up in the cave. Here they are. He had people that wouldn't leave him. And then look what happens in verse 2. We're about to see him step into purpose. Side note, you can't step into your purpose alone. Impossible. God didn't give you a purpose that only has to do with you. It doesn't happen. He doesn't do it. You need other people to walk out your purpose and walk out your call. So verse 2 says, says, And everyone that was distressed, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, God, that's a good group of people he's got. Everybody that was in distress and in debt and discontented gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. That's a big cave. 400 men. Now, now back then in the old days, in the old King James, they just like to list the men. But that means there were 400 men plus their wives. And if any of them have kids. and That's a lot of people David had in a cave. And two things I noticed in that verse that, that I've not really paid attention to was it said they gathered themselves unto him and he became was the first thing that I noticed. David became. Notice it didn't say that he was their captain. It didn't say and all these people showed up and David was their leader or David was their captain. It said he became their captain. It was a work in progress. The cave was teaching him how to be the leader, how to be the captain. He became their captain. The second thing was that word captain. It's a Hebrew word. And uh, it was translated in English, captain. The word means commander, official, prince. Chief, the leader. Check this out. The word means prince of peace. It's the same word given to Jesus, the name given to Jesus for the Messiah that was to come. And David became prince of peace, the leader. He stepped up. You know what else it means? It means keeper or steward. You know, we've been talking about stewarding things the last two or three weeks. We talked about stewarding your pain and stewarding your time. And, and I thought that was really cool that that word also means steward. So David became steward over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went thence to Mizpah of Moab and he said unto the king of Moab let my father and my mother I pray thee come forth and be with you until I know what God will do for me and he brought him before the king of Moab and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold and the prophet God said unto David abide not in the hold Depart and get thee into the land of Judah. Into the land of praise. Or Judah means praise, thanksgiving, gratitude. Then David departed. And he came into the forest of Hereth. 
So, so the word of God came to David after he became a captain. After he became a good steward over the people that God had brought to him. David was broken. The people that came to him were broken. And he became a leader. And then what? We just read the word of God to him. God said, it's time to get out of the cave. He ended up in the palace. We know that. He ended up being the greatest king that Israel has ever known. But the distressed and everybody that was in debt and discontented, those 400 men, they became David's mighty men. So this group of these broken down, misfits, unwanted, discontented, in debt dudes became like the baddest army that you can read about in the Bible. They took more land for Israel than anyone had, any kings before that time. They like, it was them. It was the 400 from the cave. That was David's men. That was his boys. Why? Because of what was done in the cave. And when it was time, they came out of the cave. They didn't turn the cave into a palace. They heard the word of God and stepped out. Psalm 142 and Psalm 57 are two psalms that David wrote while he was in the cave. So at this time, while he was in the cave, in hiding, and when God was bringing in people. And so it's kind of confusing the way the Bible's written because it's not in chronological order. Um, and so actually... Psalm 142 was written first. David wrote this first, and there's all the scholars and everything I read on it agree because of several things that were said in here and how it was worded and how that it was written first because David was alone when he wrote this, and towards the middle to the end of the cave, he definitely wasn't alone. He had hundreds of people in the cave with him. So this is what David wrote first after all that loss and after all that running, and now he's found himself in this dark cave where he can just hide and he says I cry out loudly to God loudly I plead with God for mercy I spill out all my complaints before him and I spell out my troubles in detail as I sink in despair my spirit ebbing away you know how I'm feeling Know the danger I'm in, the traps hidden in my path. Look right, look left. There's not a soul who cares what happens. I'm all alone. Everything's bad. The whole world fell apart. There's nobody else around. Nobody cares. And while he was writing this, we just read it in 1 Samuel, that while he was writing this, his dad's whole household was headed to the cave. Somebody did care. Right? People were headed his way. God was sending an army and God was preparing him. But at this moment, David just got real raw and honest with God. And that's okay. In fact, it's necessary for us to get real and raw and honest and tell God when we're hurting, when we're upset, when we're disappointed, when we're mad, when we're angry, when we're depressed, when, when we can't take one more thing, it's okay. David shows us that all throughout the Psalms. David was pretty emotional. You know, he was pretty up and down. I heard one preacher say that if David was alive today, we wouldn't have half the Psalms because he would have been medicated. <laughs> like <laughs> we would have leveled that right on out because David was whoo up and down and up and down. But I'm so thankful for the Psalms because it lets me know it's okay to be real with God, that God doesn't get upset if I'm upset. God doesn't get mad if you're mad. In fact, He invites you to be real. He wants you to be authentic. The authentic you. David was just getting real and, 
and he was crying out with God. He's crying and complaining and he's discouraged and depressed. And He lost everything that he knew. He felt like he had lost everything that he had. You ever been there? So the hero is not far from you. Like we know that David turned out to be the hero. My point in this message is to let you know or to remind you that there's a hero inside of you. And if the hero is not that far away from you, then you're not that far from the hero. It's inside of you. What you choose in the cave matters. David was being real. He was upset and depressed and broken. You ever had that fake friend? Like you know their life's falling apart. And you go up to them and say, how, how are you doing? And they say, I'm great, brother. And you know they're not. Like I know what's going on with you. Like I know you're walking through the hardest thing of your life. You're not okay. Blessed and highly favored. I know, but how are you doing in this season? I also know you're going through a divorce. Right? I also know that your addiction's kicking your butt right now. But if you won't admit it and be real and honest and take off the mask, then how can we even, like, how are we going to work through it? How can I help you heal? How, if you won't even be honest with God or other people, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to ever find healing and walk in freedom. We have to take off the mask. And I'm not saying stand up and scream to the rooftops everything that you're dealing with. Please don't. That's dangerous. I'm not saying go post it on Facebook as soon as I get done preaching. Because it's not for the masses. But you have got to be real and honest with God. And you have got to have somebody in your life that you can be real with. That you can say, hey, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm hurting. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm depressed. I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. We have to be real and honest when we're broken and when we're hurting. Don't be that fake, fake Christian, that fake friend. I'm fine. Got to be real. How you doing? Living the dream, man. Okay. They won't even let you in. You can't fix a problem that you won't admit is a problem. You got to get real. You got to get honest. You got to burn the mask and never go back. What does a hero do? They save people. They protect people. They fight for what's right. They make the world a better place. There's a hero in you. Now you can numb the hero's heart in all different kinds of ways and you can, you can kill it and you can choose to live in the cave, but there is a hero inside of you that will make the world a better place. There was a hero inside of David. Look on down towards the end of that Psalm. He says, rescue me from those who are hurting. I'm no match for them. And then there's this change. There's a shift here. He just cries out all his complaints. He lets it out. He's real. He, he cries out to God. And then there's this little shift here. It says, get me out of this dungeon. What dungeon? I mean, you chose to walk in the cave, bro. There's no chains on the front door. No. He's talking about the, this dungeon in his mind where he's trapped. Have you ever had anxiety or depression or mental, any kind of issue? And I'm sure we all have on some level or another 
dealt with some things in our mind, but it becomes a trap. It becomes a dungeon. It becomes a place that you don't know if you're going to be able to get out of. Like you need somebody to rescue you. That's what David's talking about. He said, get me out of this dungeon. After he wrote this whole song about how bad things were. God, get me out of here. Why? So I can thank you in public. So that I can thank you or praise. Your people will form a circle around me. Wait, but David, at the beginning of this song, you say there wasn't nobody around you and nobody cared about you. And now, you just now said, God, get me out of this dungeon. God, get me out of this place I'm in in my mind. I know that I'm going to come out of here and I'm going to give thanks to you and praise you and your people are going to surround me. Well, that sounds kind of like church. We gather together and we give thanks and worship and praise and we surround each other. Well, what if I just experienced the greatest loss of my life? Good. That's right where David was too. He said, your people are going to surround me and you will bring me showers of blessing. Hey God, I know that you're still good even though I don't see it right now and, and I'm walking through some hard stuff. And then, like obviously we don't know the exact timeline, but he wrote that right when he got to the cave after all that loss. And then his family shows up and then God starts sending people to him and, and he starts becoming their leader. And stepping into purpose and walking out of the dungeon in his mind and doing what God's called him to do even though he's living in a cave, right? Even though Saul's still hunting him. And then at some point he writes Psalm 57 and he's gotten to a much different place. He says, be good to me, God. And now I've run to you for dear life. So when he ran to the cave, he was running to God. And that's where he received life. I'm running to you for dear life. I'm hiding out under your wings. You know what's going on here? He's starting to see how God's using the cave. To train him and make him into the leader and make him into the king. And he's starting to realize, you know what? When I was that famous young punk, I wasn't ready to be the king. But now, rather than seeing the cave as a dungeon, I'm starting to see the cave as God's wings over me. Protecting me and training me and preparing me for the purpose that He has for me. You see the shift in his, even just His perspective. He's still in the same cave. It ain't like somebody came in and installed halogen lights and heaters. It's the same cave He was in when He wrote that first one. But he's changed his perspective. And now he's leading. He's becoming the hero that God's called him to be. In the same place. He ain't left the cave yet. He wrote this one in the cave too. I'm hiding out under your wings until the hurricane blows over. I call out to high God. The God who holds me together. He sends orders from heaven and He saves me. He humiliates those who kick me around. God delivers generous love. He makes good on His word. I find myself in a pride of lions who are wild for the taste of human flesh. Their teeth are lances and arrows. Their tongues are sharp daggers. Soar high in the skies, O God. Cover the whole earth with your glory. They booby-trapped my path. I thought I was dead and gone for. They dug a man trap to catch me. And fell in headlong themselves. What they meant for evil. God can turn it around for good. I'm ready, God. So ready. Ready from head to toe. Ready to sing. Ready to raise a tune. Wake up, soul. David's telling his soul to wake up. I'm ready to worship. I'm ready to praise. 
even if I don't feel it right now, I'm going to tell my soul, wake up. Wake up, soul. Wake up, harp. Wake up, lute. Wake up, you sleepyhead son. Like, hey, instruments, soul, wake up. Instruments, wake up. Even creation, wake up. Because we're about to worship. I'm about to thank and praise the almighty, powerful God. I'm thanking you, God, out loud in the streets. This is the psalm of gratitude and hope. He's just so thankful and grateful for God and how big God is and how powerful God is and what all God's doing. And and he's still in the cave, but it's a song of gratitude and hope. He's hopeful for the future and what God is about to do and what God is going to do. And he's like, wake up, soul. Wake up the band. Fire up the band. Wake up, sunshine. Where are you at? It's time. Like stuff's going to happen and stuff hadn't happened yet. But he's got this newfound hope. For the future. And that God's so big. He can do what he said he was going to do. That's what the hero looks like. We believe that something better is yet to come. Now if David would have stayed in Psalm 142 song. In his depression, in his brokenness, in his oh woe is me state of mind, the same old song and dance, I think things would have turned out so much different. They took this and they took that and they they took everything and I lost this and I lost that. I lost my best friend and my wife and my mentor and everything that I've been working for. And I got given all this gold and money and stuff when I killed Goliath. And so I had built up a bunch of wealth and fame and they took it all from me. Saul took everything. That's where David was in the first one we read. So if they would have, if David would have just stayed there, things wouldn't have turned out so good for him. What you got to do is compose yourself and step out of the cave with gratitude and hope. Find something to be thankful for and get a hope or a dream for the future. A dream, and that's where we're going we're gonna to piggyback on here next week and talk about dreams and hopes and, and what you're dreaming and, and what God's going to do in the future. skip guy number two we were going to go to look at Elijah in the cave and I was going to turn you to first kings but Elijah was just running and he was a scaredy cat and he was in the cave and God woke him up and told him hey I know you're depressed I know you think you're alone but here eat some food get up get out of the cave and go find Elisha what does that mean we were going to read that whole story and break it all down but we're going to go real fast right now that's what happened Elisha got up and Elijah got up and God said, get out of the cave, go find Elisha. And he did and, and that was his purpose and, and he trained up Elisha and they built a school of the prophets to train up other prophets and, and, and what was that? He was in the cave, he was depressed because Jezebel said, she, Jezebel like wrote him a note after he killed 350 prophets by calling down fire from heaven This dude was the most powerful guy on the planet. He prayed and it didn't rain for years. And then he prayed and it started pouring rain. He killed 350 uh, prophets of Baal. And then one woman, Jezebel, wrote a letter that said, I'm going to kill you dead, sucker. That was paraphrasing, but... She, pre- she says in the letter, like, 
I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophets. And this most powerful dude in the world reads the letter from the, the woman. He wasn't scared of 350 prophets and soldiers and armies. And he read that letter from, from Jezebel. And he's like, oh, God, I got to go. And he ran and hid in a cave and got depressed and prayed that God would kill him. Had suicidal thoughts over a stupid letter from one woman. And God came to him and was like, get up, dude. You're not done. I need you to go find Elisha, and then I'm going to have you start a school, and I still got more miracles for you to do, and you got to train him up. You got to do this. You got to do that. And, oh, and by the way, you're not the only one. He's like, I'm the only one left that serves you, God. I'm the only one. There's nobody else around. And God's like, no, you're not. Now, I got thousands of y'all. Get up, dude. Get something to eat and get out of the cave. Step into purpose. You can't live there. But I've still got more for you to do. Get up. So now we're not even turning there. And we'll end. But now I don't remember where to end because when we would have turned there, it would have prompted me where to turn next. <clears throat> God told him to get out of the cave. Okay, it's time to come out of the cave and do something. The cave is not the final destination unless you stop. Your cave, whatever it is, whatever cave you found yourself in, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever cave it is that you've run to, that you found yourself in, whatever prison or trap, it is not your final destination unless you choose to stop. The Wright brothers were not the first ones to try to build an airplane. They're just the ones that didn't give up. And now we all know them as the ones that invented the airplane. There were people that have been trying to invent airplanes a long time before them, but they just got frustrated and gave up and quit along the way. Go look it up. But they had a dream and a vision in their heart and a purpose, and they would not stop. They would not choose to settle in the cave as their permanent and final destination. Can I close in Matthew 14? Matthew 14, like you have a choice. Can I? I'll hurry. Super fast. Matthew 14, because I wanted to end it with Jesus and what he did right, when Jesus was in the cave. And so, Matthew 14, verse 12, And his disciples came, and they took the body, and they buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Whose body? John the Baptist. Jesus' cousin. See, this was very unexpected. Jesus didn't even get to say goodbye. This was his friend, one of his closest companions, the one that was preparing the way for him. Jesus was out on a ministry tour, and, and John was doing ministry and baptizing people. And, and John really was the only one that had recognized who Jesus was. Jesus was still trying to show the disciples, but they didn't even know yet. Like, they didn't even get it yet. And, I mean, Mary... And Joseph knew. But John, his cousin, like he actually got him. He knew who Jesus was. You know how valuable that is. And, and it was his cousin. And most people say that, that John was probably in really good relationship with Jesus or his friend. And, and John got his head cut off. It was like a pretty bad situation. Unexpected things happen in life. Just like we just read about David and Elijah. And sometimes they hurt really bad. Things that you don't expect. So what do you do? What will we do when something unexpected happens?
Look at what Jesus did. So John, like, Jesus wasn't expecting John to die. John just got locked up in jail by Herod. And Herod was afraid to kill John because of the uprising that would happen and all of John's followers and stuff. So Herod just put him in jail. Well, the reason they put him in jail is because John was doing the right thing and he spoke out against Herod's marriage because Herod thought he would go and marry his half-brother's wife and bring her into his house, and it was just wrong. And John said it was wrong and didn't really care about the power. And so John got locked up. Well, the, bro- the stepbrother's wife that Herod took in had a daughter, and the daughter danced for Herod and all of his guests, and apparently she did such a good dance that she was such a talented dancer, she got done and the king said, name any price you want up to half my kingdom and I'll pay you for that dance that you just did. Up to half the kingdom, any price you want. She's like, ah, what do I want? What do I want? Mom, mom, what should I ask for? And her mom, who's still really mad that John spoke out against her and tried to make her look bad, And said she shouldn't have married him. She said, tell him you want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter right now. Girl's probably like, that's weird. I was thinking like money. (laughs) Or like that white stallion that he has out there. and, And like a big piece of land for me and you to live on. She's like, no, John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. She's like, okay, mom. That's what you say. I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter right now. And the king's like, okay, do it. Troubled child, good dancer, weird request. So they just chopped off his head, put it on a platter, and brought her right back in the party. Here you go. It's a weird party. Here's John's head. And then the verse we just read, you know, see, it says, uh, and his disciples, they came and they took the body and they buried it. There was no head. So Jesus was pretty upset. This is meaningless, pointless, dumb thing that didn't have to happen. And when Jesus heard it, verse 13 says, when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by a ship into a desert place apart or alone when Jesus heard about it it was so upsetting that he kind of lost it he, he had to get away he left everybody he left the crowd he left the disciples it said he went and got in a boat by himself and took like I gotta get away from y'all like just stop he went and departed to a desert place alone And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. Dude went away. He's trying to get away from people, got in a boat, and he's riding out across the lake, just freaking out because this wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't part of the plan. I could have went and got him out of prison. Like, he didn't mess up. He's the only one that got me. He's the only one that knew who I was. And now he got killed over some dumb thing. And Jesus is like freaking out. And people are like, oh, there he goes on the boat. Let's follow. Whole crowds of people are like walking along the shore. Like, I wonder where he's going to dock. Actually, it's kind of annoying. That he couldn't even get away from all these people. But they're following him. And when he landed on the shore, crowds of people were there. And he said, give me a minute. Go away to your houses. And give me a couple years to grieve. Then I will get back to this whole saving the world purpose thing. That's not what he did. That's not even what he said. In 
And they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and he saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. And if you go on and keep reading down, this is where, this is where he ends up taking the fish and the loaves. And he, he broke the bread. He took it and he blessed it. He broke it and he gave it. He fed them out of the brokenness. They were fed. And that's what Jesus does every time he touches bread. Four times he touches bread. That's what Jesus does with it, by the way. He takes it, he blesses it, he breaks it, and then he gives it away. What was he doing? When he went away by himself in that boat alone, he was breaking. He was getting real honest with God. He probably screamed, cried, got upset. I don't know how he dealt with it, but it's like we were talking about David. He took off the mask and he got real. I'm not okay. I'm not good. I'm broken. I'm going to let it out because he was all God, but he was all man. He was probably asking why, crying, yelling, moaning, trying to figure out what to do next. Like, hey, my one ministry partner's gone. How am I supposed to pull this off, Dad? God? This wasn't the plan. So this is number one. You got to be broken or allow yourself to break. Like, you don't have to just hold it together all the time. It's okay to break. When you run to the cave, it's okay to cry. It's okay to yell out. It's okay to say, hey, I'm not okay. I will not break. I've got a scripture for that. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Jesus was the word made flesh. And here we see him break. Admit that it hurts. I didn't expect my cousin to die. I didn't expect my marriage to fall apart. I didn't expect to lose a child. I, I didn't expect to lose my job. I, you can't hold that stuff in. You got to mourn. You got to let it out. You got to be honest and real. Why? Because playing tough won't fix it. What you fake can't be fixed. The reality is we're all broken. What made you break? Think about your brokenness. Think about your dysfunction, your weakness, your pain. The, the area that you so desperately want to fix. And realize that your brokenness is what he will use. He'll get right up in the middle of it. If you can just be honest. It's okay to break. Like a glow stick. They don't glow or shine until they're broken. But then what? He understood that people needed him. Right? He understood. He saw the people. And he remembered that he had a purpose. So he composed himself and stepped out of his brokenness. And that's the... The second thing that Jesus did was he composed himself. He got up and came out of the boat. He got up and came out of the place of isolation and helped somebody else. He got up and came out of the dungeon or the cave. We just saw how David did it. And we saw that God told Elijah to do it. And now we see Jesus doing it like, okay, it's okay to break. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be in this broken state of mind. It's okay to be in this place of loss or this freak out spot. But then at some point, you need to get up and get out and help somebody else. Like now I'm going to have compassion and get up and with gratitude and hope for the future and the purpose that's on my life, I'm going to get up and I'm going to help somebody else. I'm going to walk out of this cave. I'm going to step out of this boat. And I'm going to walk in purpose because it's not only about me. And as long as I stay in my cave and as long as I stay in my boat, it's just my world's getting smaller and smaller. And I feel like there's nobody else. 
no one that cares. There's nobody around me. There's, there's, it's only me, God. I'm the only one that serves you. And God's like, step out. Help somebody. And watch your world get bigger and bigger and bigger. Some of y'all won't allow yourself to break or to be broken. And, and some of you won't come out of your brokenness. Walk in purpose. See, if you live or stay in that place of brokenness, then you don't find your purpose. You get bitter. You walk around full of bitterness and broken and you get angry and bitter and have unforgiveness at all of the things that broke you and hurt you. So don't stay there. You got to compose yourself and, and walk out of it. Some of you never allow yourself to break or to be broken. But the danger there is that you won't have compassion for the broken. Because you've got your mask and you're fake and, and there's nothing in you that's broken or needs. So then you grow hard and callous and you don't break. You feel like you can't break. That's too much pressure. You'll forget that you are broken too. You'll have sympathy and not empathy. We need compassion, sympathy with action. So what's the plan for my life? How do I see God? And how do I show God? You are the bread. He's blessed you. And in life you've been broken. And now you must be given. You step into purpose. You help somebody else. And in doing so you find happiness and meaning for life. God sends three, three kinds of people into your life. There are three different kinds of people in your life, and that's, that's it. We end on this thought. Three kinds of people in your life. There are the people that are coming, the people that are staying, and the people that are going. And we must learn to welp, welcome the ones that are coming, listen to the ones that are staying, and celebrate the ones that are going even if they hurt us. Well, that's kind of hard. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to look like. You see, if I don't welcome the ones that are coming into my life, then I will become stagnant. There'll be nothing new coming in, no new ideas, no new relationships, no new people coming into my life. And if the economy of God is completely relational, then if I'm not welcoming new people into my life, then it's going to be very hard for God to, to do what He wants to do in and through me. I'm supposed to be welcoming the ones that are coming so I don't become stagnant. You're not supposed to be a pond. And if I don't listen to the ones, like really listen, remember the message Journey preached a few weeks ago about listening? listening to the ones that are in my life that I'm in relationship with that are in my church that are that are my friends and around me and paying attention and listening and and trying to really understand who they are and what they're feeling and what they're trying to communicate and say to me if I don't listen to the ones that are staying the ones that are committed to the same dream as me the same vision then I will miss the benefit of relationship and if I can't celebrate the ones that are going, if I can't be grateful for the ones that are leaving my life, then I have allowed bitterness and unforgiveness to pollute my pool. I'm not forgiving like I was forgiven. We're commanded in Scripture to forgive the same way that we were forgiven. 
and how we were forgiven is we didn't earn it. We were forgiven before we changed our ways. So we're supposed to welcome, listen, and celebrate. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thanks for speaking to us. Thank you for thank you for the hero that you've placed on the inside of each one of us. God, when we run to the cave, help us to be real and authentic and to let out our frustrations and our anger and, and to find somebody, some people in our life that we can be real with. But then, God, help us to compose ourselves and step out of our brokenness and into purpose because we know that's where we will see ultimate healing. God, we love you. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.